and welcome to Game Breaking Feature, the podcast where we analyze and discuss common elements of modern video game design and development. My name is Stephen Bennett, and in this episode, we're going to be talking about puzzles, those times when games invite you to use your brain to solve problems instead of just violence, or at least in conjunction with violence. To help me decrypt these ancient runes I've scribbled in my notebook is a man who always fills out his crosswords in pen, my good friend Jared Bruner. Jared, how you doing, man? Good, man. Yeah, not just crosswords, but Sudoku, tax returns, pretty much everything. I, are, aren't you supposed to fill out tax returns in pen? Hey, I mean, you just do the calculations once, and uh, you just assume that they're good. I do, mine on, I do mine online. Do you actually fill yours out by hand? I have an abacus that I use. <laughs> of course you do. Um, <laughs> you smart ass. <laughs> and a typewriter. I should have I known that this was the answer coming my way before I answered the question. I was looking at my taxes, and my kombucha bill is just like out of, out of control. <laughs> Oh, Jared, you're killing me with these. Good stuff. <laughs> but Jared, today we have an amazing guest. He's a senior game designer at Warner Brothers Montreal and the coordinator of the video games program at Dawson College. Please welcome to the show, Osama Dorius. Osama, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Oh, yeah, of, of course. course, man. No, it's an, it's an honor to have you here. Thank you so much for taking time out of your weekend. And you're, it, It's late where you are, man. How you, how you holding up? How's your weekend going? It's not that late. It's like 9.30 p.m., but I do have three kids, so I'm exhausted. <laughs> Dude, I, I have one kid. I cannot even imagine multiplying that by three. But how's, <laughs> how's, being, a, how's being a dad of three? Is that is that a totally sweet gig, or is it like living in, in like a nightmare? Well, let me <laughs> quote my friend, <laughs> Mike Sellers. Uh, I, I, I mentioned it before, but Mike Sellers basically says that when you go from one or two kids to three, you stop playing man-to-man and you get into zone defense. So you kind of have to let things go. <laughs> At that point, do you pick, like, you, you identify the child who's going to be most successful and then put a lot of effort into that one? Or do you just try to you spread it evenly all across all three? <laughs> I'd say you just try to damage, sorry, damage control. So There you go. You uh, mit- mitigate. Yeah, you, don't, you don't even think about the future. It's yeah. just like, you know, it's just survival. Just make it to, to win, please. <laughs> Pretty much. Osama, you actually know one of our one of our past guests, Ari McGillivray, and I, you know Kim Belair, right? From That's right. I worked with both of them at Ubisoft in Montreal like a few years ago. Like we're we're slowly just ago. going oh. through all of Ubisoft Canada staff. So. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's gonna take well, a while. There's like three thousand employees in Montreal. No, we're, we're we're trying to make as this many episode... Canadian friends as possible, so that when when it all goes south here in the states, we can flee north. <laughs> <laughs> I have an extra room if you want. Yes, <laughs> friends be on the wall. Nailed it, Jared. We finally did it. We got a place to stay. <laughs> um, but you worked with Ari on For Honor, right? That's right. And now, from the outside looking in, knowing very little about what went into the making of that game, there seemed to be like an overwhelming uh, like camaraderie on that game. Is that is that a true statement? Because I don't. I don't get to see too much of how like a lot of games are made. Any games? Let's be serious. And I don't get to see how any <laughs> games are made. Um, but there definitely seems to be like a, a like a tight knit group of people. Was there something special about that game when you were working on it? Yes, I would say that that's actually accurate. And For Honor is very, much closer than a lot of other AAA developments that you would see. Uh, but. Just like all the other AAAs, it's kind of a very big team, so it's really hard to be uh, like tight knit with two, three hundred, four hundred, up to seven hundred people. Uh, mm-hmm. What it generally ends up happening is uh, the people on top uh, set up some kind of a corporate culture or like you know a, a, um, a modus operandi for the rest of the team. And for that one, it was camaraderie, and it was uh, we're all in this together, and we're trying something new. 
and that seeps into the other smaller teams um, and with varying degrees of success uh, truthfully some teams are a lot happier than others but that's mm. normal of any big production right um, mm -hmm. some have more heat for the features that they have to do like more not more heat exactly but like more pressure to, to be able to deliver because their features would be more difficult um, and others have uh, an easy, a little bit of an easier time or a lot more fun depending on who their directors are uh, in on average i would say for honor it was special because it was something new and everybody knew it was something new it was very different than other AAA uh, projects or teams like mm. across the board not just in montreal and i think that fueled a lot of the uh, gun hole spirit that the team had yeah, I was actually I was actually just about to ask you if if it was uh, the case of it being sort of a new IP if Ubisoft sort of gave you guys a little more freedom to be yourselves, like be out in the public a little bit more because that's one of the other things was there was um like a a good degree of uh oh with the words escaping me like I I you could really from the outside see in what was going on. Yes, absolutely transparency. Thank right? you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they made that, forget, that whole for getting simple words here. Thank you. <laughs> it happens. The, I don't the, know the why full I run on a podcast. For Honor documentary with uh, what's his name, Jason Vanderberg. Yes, uh, he, he yes. seems like very passionate about his, <laughs> his work. Um, so I mean, it's cool. It's 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 cool to see that so many people enjoyed the time that they spent working on that game, and um, it, it seemed like it, it definitely came from a place of of passion and, and heart. Absolutely. Well, Jason is uh, is quite the character. A lot of people, when they're in front of a camera, they are a different person. But I can guarantee that Jason is exactly like he appears in front of the camera all, every day. That is terrifying. Like, <laughs> he's, he's never off. He never walks into a meeting and you're like, oh, Jason, you know, is having an off day. No, every, 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 everywhere he steps is a stage. <laughs> Everything he says is a presentation. That's just who he is. And now after For Honor, you went to work at Warner Bros, where you're currently at correct like what actually what? i had um, oh. another company that i went in in the interim for a short while i went to a small indie studio called minority um uh, they mm. made a, a game called papoyo that you might have heard of it's um i, I made two games in, in my time there before i moved on to warner brothers so kind oh, of geez. a pit stop <laughs> well well jared remind me to fire whoever does the research for this <laughs> oh i've already i've already drawn up the paperwork okay <laughs> <laughs> So what is the what is your style of work like? You know, Jared uh, Jared is a producer in television, so his his work is very sort of like gig based. I've worked in television as well, so I'm I'm familiar with what that's like. But why have you sort of moved so much um, in like the recent years? Like, why is that just part of the the video game developer lifestyle? Is that just what people sort of expect when they become game devs, or is your situation unique? Um, it's neither one nor the other, I would say. It's just um, circumstance. Basically, when I started my career, I started at Gameloft, and I stayed at Gameloft for seven years, which for the video game industry, specifically in Montreal, is a very long time. Uh, the reason that people move a little bit more in Montreal is because there's a lot of competition. There's about 10,000 video game jobs across, uh, No, I'm not exaggerating, about 150 stu studios of varying sizes. Uh, we're talking about like two-person operations all the way up to Ubisoft, which has 3,000 employees. Um, so there's a lot of competition. In there, and the, our studio manager at one point, he said, if I turn around, half the team's gone. So I'm mm. just going to keep staring at you. <laughs> <laughs> That's just how Montreal is. It's, it's very different than if you go to some other cities where there's pretty much one or two companies. People are more likely to just stick around, right? People don't want to mm. relocate. It's very difficult. But in Montreal, you could change jobs two or three times to try to find a better fit. 
while still staying in the, in the same industry. And, and it's not even seen as a bad thing. It's kind of normal. People generally stay between three to five years at the company if that they're happy with. That's the one that they're happy with. So just imagine. Um, so for me specifically, for you, you, I'm a generalist game designer. So I've re-specialized so many times. And I don't know if it's clear from my LinkedIn, but I've been a narrative designer at some point. I've been a level designer and a mission designer at others. I've been a camera designer, AI designer. Uh, I recently did um, economy design at Warner Brothers, and now I've switched. I'm, I'm a, a generalist again. Uh, so <laughs> I do it all, and because of that, um, I generally get bored of doing the same thing. That's why, again, even at Warner mm. Brothers, I switched. Um, I'm a generalist for that reason. I, I'm excited by challenges. I love to learn, and I jump in gung-ho if you give me a new discipline, and I'll try to learn as much of, uh, as possible. Once I start, once the work starts to be samey for me, um, I like to ask to, you know, undertake a new challenge. Um, so, Warner Brothers has been great because my boss, uh, my my boss before my promotion, um, I, he basically identified that as my personality trait. So whenever he says, whenever you're bored, just let me know. Don't hmm. change companies. Let me know, <laughs> <laughs> and I'll give you something new. And that's that's basically what's been going on. Damn, that's a good boss. You don't yes, you don't hear that that often. Usually, no. you know, it's just like get your job done, do it well, come in under under budget. <laughs> Where do you get the energy to to learn all those different skills, man? Because like sometimes I like struggle to make myself breakfast, and you're like designing economies <laughs> and levels and puzzles and all kinds of stuff, man. I think it's what, a personal. What's your trait? secret? <laughs> I, I don't. <laughs> I don't think I have necessarily more energy than other people. I think it's just uh, interest. Mm-hmm. Um, I I like having a very broad range of knowledge, so I'm I'm not necessarily going to be your expert uh, in anything, uh, but that's okay. The, for me, that's fine. I have a uh, I draw from a lot of experience from designing, uh, you know, the in, like from other disciplines of design. So I make up for that. I'm able to like even uh, the way I approach economy design is almost narrative. I've been told that, and it was shocked me because I don't know, you know, I don't know how other people do it. Uh, but for me, it's like the user experience of the player going through this economy. How would I want them to feel? It's all about feelings and emotions. And and but I'm very adept at Excel sheets and formulas and making sure everything is balanced. It's just my approach is different. So I think it generally is just interest. I've seen a lot of people who just like to dive deep in the same discipline. And I admire that, and I love working with people like that because it makes my job easier, right? But it's just not who I am. I can relate to that. I mean, being a TV producer means pretty much nothing. It's just like, it's it's a level of, I guess, uh, experience because it's like what, it's like saying I'm a boss. Yeah, like, what does that mean? Like, yeah, you, you you really can do any. Like, there's so many different things. You know, that doesn't come with a set amount of responsibilities. I've worked in post production. I've worked in the field. I've worked in a big studio. Uh, and I, I, I get to, you know, I have working knowledge of every department on set and that's beneficial in a lot of ways, especially if you're trying to manage a project as a producer, uh, you know, knowing the, the right people to go to, how is it the best way to get this done? But, you know, I, I found that being able to acquire all those skills was just a matter of to say yes, like, oh, like I'm going to be available. And if you need something done, like, sure. Yeah, I'll do that. I'll figure it out. Exactly. Last year I worked on a show where. Um, I needed to help the art department quite heavily. And I was like, I don't know how to do this, but I helped build a spooky tree out of chicken wire. And that was pretty cool. So now I can, I have that skill set somewhere very deep in case such an occasion would arise again. 
Osama, what are you, what are you working on, man? Are you able to tell us anything about the the projects that you're working on at Warner Brothers, or is that hush right now? I can tell you very little, but I'll tell you what I can. We'll take what we can get. <laughs> so and we'll I'm, call it a scoop. <laughs> <laughs> it's a console AAA game. Hold on, I'm uh, writing this down. <laughs> uh, it's open world, and it's a based on a major DC franchise. All right, I like and, it. That's enough. Well, That's all we that? need. Oh, I'll add more. one more thing. Okay, go for it. Don't get in trouble it's with this. <laughs> it's really awesome. <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's maybe the most important thing. Yes, absolutely. Now, on top of identifying as a game developer, on your website it also says you're an educator and an advocate. So I was just wondering, like, what it is that you teach, what it is you advocate for, and and why those elements are important to you. Of course. Um, well, I actually co-authored the independent game design program. Um, so it, it's my program. I created it, but with like a, a lot of people from the, the video game industry as consultants. Um, I pitched that to the Ministry of Education here in Montreal. It got approved, and we're we just accepted our fifth cohort. So I've been uh, teaching uh, on and off in the program, and I was teaching even before that. Actually, I used to teach in a level design program. Uh, right before I created my own program. Uh, and when the coordinator of that program stepped down, he asked me to step up. Uh, and I told him that even though I really am passionate about level design, I'm, I can't just find one discipline. As I mentioned before, I'm a generalist. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that's why I said, hey, how about I create my own program? Uh, everyone at the college looked at me like, what, did you graduate from education? Have you ever, like, do you know what the amount of work or that would it take to create your own program? Uh, but, you know, I, I never turned down the challenge. So I did a really poor job of creating a program over a period of six months. <laughs> um, but I put in all the effort. So everything was there. All the content was there. It's just like the language I was using was not their technical language. And, and that's fine. That's not my specialty. But they literally assigned me a technical writer for a couple of weeks who looked it over with me. Nice. So, I, yeah, I'm very, very, very proud of that. Um, it's, it's that one sounds of, awesome. <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, and it's been going really well, and our students are, are well, I mean, it's, it's a very competitive industry, so I'm not saying we have a 100% placement rate, but our students are making a big mark um, on, on the industry here in Montreal. They're finding jobs in big studios. Like, two of my students became game designers on For Honor while, uh, during the period that I was there, as an example. Um, a few are starting their own little indie studios with varying degrees of success, but I don't know if you've heard of the game King of the Hat. They are formerly mm -hmm. students of ours. Uh, oh, as nice. well, they're, they're graduates from our program and and everything in between. So uh, now I just substitute teach. I don't have time. To... So you just you just show up you just show up and put Willy Wonka on for him. That's <laughs> that's what all actually, my that's what all my substitute teachers did. So I'm just assuming that's what you do as a sub. <laughs> uh, actually, I have prepared uh, courses that I've had that are condensed from 15 weeks to just one or two. And if a teacher is sick from the game design um, courses, I just jump in and I give one or two lectures about one of those topics uh, just you know for uh, for the general knowledge of the, the students so that's 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 as much as i do when it comes to teaching right now other than actually running the program it's awesome that you were able to build from the ground up uh, like an entire program and that's that's quite an accomplishment definitely something to definitely something to be proud of so it's, it's cool you. you do that but yeah let, let's let's talk a little bit about the advocacy what do you what why is that aspect important for you? And what are you, what are you specifically advocating for? Okay, so basically, when I started in the industry about almost 12 years ago, mm -hmm. um, I, the, the industry in Montreal specifically, because I can't speak to 
about the rest of the world. I don't know. I've worked in Montreal my my whole career, but the industry in Montreal was very male, uh, white, and sp- uh, specifically Quebecois, so like French Canadian. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was way a lot, lot more than it is now. It used to be. Uh, it's gotten a lot better. It's gotten a lot more diverse. Uh, so it was. I won't lie to you. It was actually a little bit challenging, even though I worked with wonderful people. Um, everyone was of that same background. So the the language that people had to discuss diversity or to discuss any topics that were sensitive was very limited and in many ways very offensive. Uh, uh, to no fault of anybody who was there, if if I could put it that way. So I've worked on a lot of games that I'm had very questionable. Uh, narratives and uh, yeah like just to put it mildly or you know very rosters that were that would be considered problematic now and that would um, have a lot of issues um, a, a lot of backlash I would say back so then in this is like this is in regards to representation in in characters specifically yes uh, okay. representation in characters but also environments anything uh, okay. relating to other cultures or even you know Othered cultures, right? right. No, <laughs> it's the right sense. on. I just wanted to make sure I was. I just wanted to make sure I was following along. Yes, absolutely. Like I worked on a military shooter that was similar to Call of Duty. Um, that you know the protagonists were brown folk from the Middle East who were evil in every way, and there was no two sides to the story at all. And the the protagonists were gun ho, you know, uh, white Americans from Kentucky who. Or who had accents like that, and mm. there was there was no there was no setup to say, hey, this is good or evil for this reason. It's more like here's a gun, go shoot them. Mm. Um, so that that's the kind of game I'm talking about. But there were other uh, other other games that I worked on that were like open world, where all the gangs were of a certain skin type or skin color, and uh, everyone was your friend wasn't. So just to give you an idea of like how how much better it's gotten and this is because specifically because you know the, the company that i worked for for which i won't mention um they, they just didn't have sensitivity training and the people who mm-hmm. i worked for weren't sensitive to these kind of issues uh so but i was junior i was just starting out and i didn't have a lot of courage to speak up so i picked my battles uh for a lot of reasons because when i did speak up i was pretty much branded as you know the loud the, the person who's very loud about these specific issues and mm-hmm. it became that i was invited to fewer meetings so i just i adjusted i started picking my battles like for that first game i said you know what leave the antagonists who they are that's fine but just don't have this one mission take place in a mosque that's kind of like you know that's crossing a line let's make it a palace just throw some throw eggs yeah. there remove some religious symbolism and, and we're fine and for the other open world games i'm like uh, how about like changing the skin palette from the, these bad guys to these good guys oh yeah yeah that looks much better uh, let, let's let's just do that so things that didn't affect production mostly whenever there was an argument it's like well we already made it you want us to redo work uh, because it, that's mm. the, the default was already set right so why do, oh, yeah. why yeah so um that, that's really what started me uh talking about these issues and realizing that i needed to do more than just talking to my own company because they were widespread other companies were more ahead but there were varying degrees of uh, understanding or sensitivity to them so mm-hmm. you know we had a few workshops we had um a few uh lectures locally and that culminated into you know being invited to other uh conferences specifically most of the talks i give about were about muslim representation but that's not it like basically who anyone who watches my my talks about muslim representation will see that you could replace 
Muslims with any marginalized group mm -hmm. and all the points are exactly the same. Um, but like I presented as, as Muslim representation because that's who I am. Like, I, I can't really speak to the experience of others. So all my examples are about being either an Arab or someone of brown skin or mm -hmm. a Muslim. But really it doesn't matter. Advocacy is advocacy. Like um, the, whether, whether we're talking about, um, you know, gay rights or, you know, women in games or uh, any nationality it's, it's all the same like we all just want to be represented positively mm -hmm. uh and the more you do that the better your game is going to be and have like there's a business case for it etc cetera, etc cetera. all the arguments arguments for advocacy are pretty much the same i had a chance to watch the gdc talk that you give unfortunately we didn't get to see you at uh, at gdc but um they they do a pretty good job of, of cataloging all that stuff so if you're uh if you're listening to this I would say definitely, definitely check out Osama's uh, talk at this year's GDC about Muslim re representation because it was it was really good. You had a lot of really great examples, and um, Thank you. you can certainly tell that uh, that you care uh, deeply about the about the subject. So I, I appreciated seeing that, and we'll make sure we'll make sure and tweet out the the link to that as well. So when when this goes live, everyone can can check it out. That's very kind of you. It actually is on YouTube now as well. So appreciate you being out there putting yourself out there to uh, raise awareness about this stuff because there's we're certainly in need of of uh, a lot of people's voices and in, in, in talking about these um, these issues that, that affect gaming and, and gaming culture and uh, and everyone around video games thank you um, thank you very much on that note why don't we uh, why don't we jump into our topic tonight we're talking about <laughs> about puzzle well i say tonight it's tonight for me i don't know when you're going to be listening to this but <laughs> if it is at night ooh, um it's jared yes um yep. just in time for halloween right i'm not i'm actually not even sure if this episode goes out before halloween <laughs> if you're listening to this on halloween ooh, let's uh let's jump into a little bit of the history of puzzles man where, where did puzzles and video games get their start one of the earliest games that we could find was a, a game out of Japan uh, developed for the PC called Heianko Alien. It was developed at the University of Tokyo in their theoretical science group. Originally, it was for computers, but then eventually ma uh, it made its way to arcades. You play as a police officer in Japan, and you have to defend the city against uh, an alien invasion. And you're digging holes and trapping the, the aliens as they as they move around the map. Um, I guess it's it's... Oh, it's a genre called the trap em up probably not super popular right now but yeah it's like one of the first like real-time uh puzzle action games in, in like a video game format now one of the really cool things about it was that you don't just play a police officer in japan trapping aliens but you play a police officer in japan's heian period which was from around like 794 ad to 1185 ad and you're fighting aliens this is what I want for more games, dude. Like, <laughs> I would love the idea of, like, a game set in, you know, like, the past, but dealing with sort of uh, what we perceive as, like, a modern, like, a, a modern issue, you know, like. The, Ooh, the first like Red the Dead, space that, their DLC went to some weird places with zombies. I know, Red dude, Dead 2, I bet, is going to be, I, I think there's going to be some weird Rockstar shit in, in Red Dead 2 as well. Maybe. But that was exactly what I thought about when I thought about this game. I was like, dude, it, it is exactly like the zombie DLC for Red Dead. We need more games like that, just like off the wall stuff. I would love to see more more stuff like that. But. Taking taking games out of their element or the characters from the games out of the element, putting them in a new environment. Yep, exactly. Now, Osama, have you had a chance to play this game, Heyankyo Alien? Oh no, I have not, but I'm definitely. It was actually it came out the year I was born, so I didn't have a time 
Uh, I mean, I didn't have a chance to play it then, of course. Yeah. Uh, but I'm definitely going to dig it up and try to casual. See if I could find a copy. Yeah, casual. <laughs> <laughs> Noob, right? <laughs> it was so. This game has actually seen a lot of re-releases. Um, I think one of the big ones was uh, it had seen a Game Boy release where it, it didn't really even resemble what the uh, the original one looked like. The, the original one's very simple. It's basically just um kind of like a pac-man map yeah and then like little aliens kind of scramble around it and then you're you're digging holes and and trying to trap them a little bit like dig dug kind of i would Mm -hmm. say i don't know if dig dug qualifies as a trap them up game but so on the game boy it's definitely they they modernized a lot more of the graphics for it so i'd say it's probably a little more aesthetically playable than the original one was yeah, so that was released in 1979, um, and I guess it did okay, because after that, a lot of video games started getting digital versions of existing physical puzzle games. A game called Blockbuster for the Atari 8-bit came out a few years later, and it was kind of a, a digital Rubik's Cube. There was Snark Hunt, also for the, the Atari. It was a digital version of a board game called Black Box, and even Tetris, which was made by, oh man, uh, Alexei Pajnitov. I, I, I should know this. Well, we should we should let the we should let the teacher uh, pronounce that name because I imagine at some point Tetris <laughs> comes up in a lesson, right? Yes, it does. But I struggle with the name every time it comes up. <laughs> I think Jay's it's in the middle Paget- of a word. I don't know how to parse. <laughs> I think it's uh, Pajitnov, but I'm not 100 percent sure. That's just how I've been saying it. <laughs> Google it. Google it. You'll, you'll yes. figure it out. <laughs> um, yeah, now it's an adaptation of a, another game called Pentomino. Pentomino? 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 Pent- I that think. makes sense. Yes. Like a domino yes. game. I, I'm not familiar <laughs> with that, but I know a Rubik's Cube is. Exactly. And, and see, this is kind of, to me, this was the, the thing that was cool learning about this, because I would have imagined that games like Blockbuster or Tetris, these abstracted puzzle games, would have been some of the earliest examples of uh, puzzles put in video games. But I was really surprised to learn how few classically puzzle games there were up until this game, Heyankyo Alien came out, which is, I would say, is not a traditional puzzle game. It's not really like an abstracted, I don't know what to call it. Like, it's not an abstraction of anything. You're trapping aliens. Like, that's the, that's the game and the puzzle. It, it seemed really cool. And where I, it was completely opposite of what I expected. I would have expected something like Tetris to come first and then this game would have come afterwards. But I think one of the biggest. I wouldn't say problems, but one of the biggest symptoms of having the word puzzle mean so many things is that we don't have a, a clear divide, or most people don't think about the clear divide between theme and genre when we talk about games. Um, like, puzzle, for Tetris, it's not the genre of the game. That's the thematic of the game. Uh, Tetris is an action game in genre. Um, and uh, so when you're talking about the zombie game and you're saying, oh, it didn't really feel much like a puzzle game, that's because you're talking about the thematic again. Uh, a good example I could give you of this is uh, Shaun of the Dead. Shaun of the Dead is not a, a genre of horror. It is the, the, the theme of the, the movie is horror. The genre is comedy. But there are other movies that have the, the, the genre being horror, and maybe the theme could be comedy, like It. <laughs> and, mm. and see how different those two... Uh, I mean, the theme is comedy simply because there's a clown. Of course, I get it. Uh, but like, we we don't we don't we can group them both in a horror section in a in a movie. Uh, like blockbusters don't exist anymore. But you get what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because and people won't bat an eye because we have we don't we're not trained to distinguish between the two um, hmm. very clearly. Uh, but that's how it works with 
video games as well we also like the genre doesn't mean anything theme doesn't mean anything we just add a lot of keywords on the box and we consider it over but what what does it really mean to have a game that the genre is a puzzle not the thematic uh, once we start to separate it we start to understand that a puzzle mechanically is something that you could solve tetris you can't solve it just goes on forever it's actions that you input so this abstraction that you're talking about is just um, something that comes along with the thematic of puzzles but it's absolutely not necessary for the genre the genre it doesn't really matter what kind of manifestation your pieces take you could uh, how, how do i put this in a different way but tetris could have been about zombies and you have to place them because they're you know frozen in these different shapes and forms and that wouldn't take away from from the genre at all it's still an action game but we probably have a harder time categorizing it thematically as a puzzle game right mm -hmm. but if you have a game where you have to solve it um like for example portal you don't need to have any abstraction you could actually add the robots you could add uh, the guns you could actually have, add a narrative around it and it doesn't take away people have no hard time seeing that as a puzzle game either because they see the solvability of it they see this the scenario that's set up in a way that you can uh, like there's no i mean you have you have a range of how you could solve the puzzle but regardless you can't really pass that puzzle until you solve it that's why the, the genre of that game is puzzle does that make sense kind of you could definitely tell that you teach classes <laughs> <laughs> i apologize and i'll try no, to break it down a little bit simpler no, i guess you, you no, you're, you're doing great because one of my favorite things to do is like as we try to describe these things is i try to throw like wrenches into our like how we define these topics that we're discussing and i appreciate that you preemptively he's like no like you, <laughs> you put is. up your the wrench shield you're like no no wrenches will be thrown into these gears get that out of here <laughs> well you're free to try uh, well so is is there an element of puzzling i guess what i'll call puzzling in every game like could you say that every game has some element of puzzle in it because let's take a game that that i think people would typically think is the furthest from puzzles let's talk about a game like call of duty right like i don't think anyone would look at a call of duty game and say that's a puzzle game but in call of duty you're you're confronted with these encounters where you're having to do a bunch of different things right you're having to identify different threats you're having to prioritize targets you're having to uh conceive and execute a plan on the fly what what makes that different from uh heyankyo alien like because they're the, both they both seem sort of like actiony and and like threat assessment e but one gets put into a puzzle category and the other doesn't absolutely okay well the one thing is you have way too many options when it comes to call of duty and that's one of the reasons why call of duty by default isn't uh, a puzzle game but it could be because you're not solving a situation you're completing a situation with a wide breadth of different options if call of duty was a, a series of scenarios that had only one or two solutions or approaches uh, and then you moved on to the next scenario then you could actually convert call of duty into a puzzle game and no one will, will at an eye if you say this is a puzzle game let's say for example you had a room in call of duty you give a person an ak with exactly 12 bullets and there are exactly i don't know uh, 10 opponents and you have to kill 10 of them while not alerting the other two and then uh, move on to the next room that becomes a puzzle that is a th thing you solve that is not a thing like, that is not an experience that you live through that you just have all this breadth of different options this is actually something where you have to stop ponder reflect um think of different scenarios uh, same thing with uh, in call of duty there are a lot of 
different spawning locations. So not not always it depends, but generally in games that are more action based, there is a, le a level of RNG in it, or like randomly generated anything in it. That you, if you replay that level again, you cannot you know think uh, premeditate a solution and apply it. You have to ad adapt to whatever is in front of you. That also removes away from the puzzle element, removes away from the from the solvability and places it more into the reaction. It makes it more of a Twitch gameplay. Um, let me give you an example. Um, Mario is an action game, right? Speedrunning Mario is a puzzle game. You're trying to solve how you could get across Mario with the least number of movements in the least amount of time uh, with the least amount of deaths. But of course, that's like the first thing that disappears when you speed run because if you die once it's over you lose your time so speed running mario trying to get the best speed than anyone else in the world that is a puzzle that you're solving at that point um, any if you take chess chess is not a puzzle game um, but if you take a scenario in chess and you say okay you're in this specific scenario kill the king or checkmate the king in three moves and there's one or two ways to do that that becomes a puzzle all of a sudden it's these limitation of actions. It's this stop, take, like you know, breathe in, come up with a solution, and and um, even if you have to repeat multiple times because it requires some kind of twitch, twitch execution, it's a that uh, pondering a solution that makes something mechanically a puzzle, not thematically again, but mechanically a puzzle. Normally, I would ask Jared what his definition of puzzles are, but doesn't but Jared, even do you matter. Have any, do you no. have anything to add? I, I thought Osama nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I, it's it's, like, it's been I, a good I podcast, guys. This. We'll catch you in the next one. Yeah. <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like I walked into this episode like, all right, we're going to have some nuanced discussion about the differences in puzzle games and games with puzzles in them. And all of that has been thrown out the window. I feel like I'm I, sorry. <laughs> I no, apologize. no, it's great. No, that's perfect. <laughs> he's he's perfect. using like like logic we don't do that i know here. i know that's and and that's why we bring on guests who know what they're talking about instead of <laughs> us two jared where we just fart around on this podcast and pretend like we know what we're talking about that is our biggest strength <laughs> you're, you're far too kind <laughs> but jared i will i will ask you what was your first memory of playing a, a puzzle game a game that could be classified as a puzzle game yeah that's really hard i know that um Spoiler alert, you have missed on here. I played a similar game. Like one of my first ever computer games was this game. I think it was just called Dive. And it was very similar to Mist, where um, that same exact story, like pre rendered backgrounds, like find the pixels to click on to do the thing. And that, that was pretty close, I guess. I never got very far in it because it was super hard. The, the first one I can think of with like super abstract solutions was Resident Evil. Like when it, whenever it people mm. say like a puzzle game or like, I mean, I don't, I guess I wouldn't call it a puzzle game, but puzzles in played such an important part of that experience um yeah resident evil is usually like one of the first ones i go to when i think about that now do you have a, do you have a positive memory of resident evil like and and the puzzling within that game so at the time yeah like I, it was really cool kind of exploring the world walking around figuring out the mechanics being you know getting the jump scares um and then you know it's like oh wow yeah there's this there's this hole in the wall it's shaped like this let's go find the thing for it and then at the time, that was super satisfying. You know, it's like, I, I, oh, yeah, I remember that I needed this item for this puzzle like an hour ago. So let's go find that room again. I tried to go back and play the remastered version of the first Resident Evil game where they completely uprest everything and changed the controls. But I don't know if that puzzle solving, that style of puzzle solving still holds up. It, it felt hmm. super slow. Um, not intuitive, and I don't know. I just think it's one of those those things that kind of didn't really age super well in the end. 
I, I don't I don't think you're wrong. I think that there was um I think that that style of of puzzle design has kind of gone away or at least at least they've made the improvements to it that that make it feel a little more um modern a little make a little more sense in, in a modern context for gaming today yeah uh, there's also in that game, you have to like, consider uh, that uh, the games back then there was no nothing that would give you the solution very easily so mm-hmm. someone and and there was there were very may, like there were very few people who had a lot of games that they could fall back to so if you have a very difficult puzzle, generally players would just try it and try it and try it and try it because you know that's it. They're stuck in that game. Otherwise, there there are no other games waiting for them. There's no YouTube to give them a solution, and they don't want to necessarily spend money to call in a hotline. <laughs> so now hotlines don't exist. YouTube is very easy to to, to have access to. You have a, a huge um, library of games waiting for you. So puzzles need to be very very different. And that's how the the designing of puzzles or like uh, allowing you to f- to figure out. Um, how to solve puzzles from within the game became instrumental. And we, basically the industry learned that kind of the hard way. Uh, a lot of uh, people just get, re- used to return games if they got stuck in a puzzle to, to replace them for another one once um, uh, you know, they were able... like Once we were in that middle like blockbuster era when people had access to doing that, uh, and that's when puzzle design started shifting. And then when YouTube came along, like, well, we don't want them to exit the game. So we're going to give them hints within. And now you see a lot of games, uh, if you're not able to solve the puzzle after a certain period of time, they, you know, a hint pops up. Do you want to take mm-hmm. this hint? Or like uh, another games like Machinarium uh, give you the hint pop-up but make it optional. So this way you, you, they leave you in the game. You're still immersed in the game and you can take as long or as you know, little time as you want to solve that puzzle. Does that seem like it went too far the other direction? Because I know exactly what you're talking about. Like we, My family definitely used to call the uh, the... The tip lines when we couldn't make it through Legend of Kyrandia, because <laughs> because that stuff's like totally obs- you know the, the some of the solutions are totally obscure because they're not based like you said not based on anything oh, in the game. You just remembered. I just remembered. I also played Sierra Quest's games growing up. Yes. And mm-hmm. the, God, those games were so obtuse. Mm-hmm. Those are my first puzzle games. The, oh like, yeah. I, I don't remember if you know Goblins. Goblins was an old PC game that was in the same vein. And that's probably the first really difficult puzzle game that I beat. It took forever, but I beat it. All the other ones I would get stuck and give up after a certain point. (laughs) Once game designers realized that people were going to have, were either using alternate methods to solve, like going outside the game to solve it or, um, or were just flat out stop playing the game. Did it swing? Did the pendulum swing too far the other direction into giving people too much information about solving puzzles? Because nowadays, it certainly seems like, uh, and and this this is not just uh, for puzzles themselves, but you know, in a lot of in a lot of uh, elements of game design, there's a lot of handholding. Like there's a way there's a waypoint in your in your field of view. There's an arrow on your map in your HUD. Uh, there's a line on the ground telling you which way to, you know what I mean? Like, did that go yes. too far that direction? Or do you feel like it's, it hit a good spot? Or do you feel like the pendulum's now swinging back the other way? Where, where are we in that, Osama? Well, if you're talking about AAA games, you have to keep in mind that AAA games try to be as mainstream as possible. Not all players play games for the same reason. Some people like exploring, some people like social comparison, some people like just killing and dominating. And all that is okay. All that is acceptable. And a lot of games, uh, if you just put them on a chart and say, hey, where do I fit? Where does this game fit? And me as a player, how much would I like or not like this game? 
based on my own personality traits. Uh, you you can it's actually it's a science. You can actually determine before playing a game just by viewing it uh, where, where it stands on this quadrants, like you know on the play, the personality type quadrants. You could pretty much predict beforehand if you're going to like the game or not with pretty surprising accuracy. So right now, what most games AAA games are trying to do are uh, appeal to the widest pool of, of uh, consumers as possible, and that's a there there are business reasons for that. You can't really fault them for that. That, but it, that leaves um, basically specializations uh, open to smaller studios and indie studios. Like, there's no hand-holding in the Dark Souls series, for example. Um, they're extremely loved by a, a significant mm-hmm. demographic, but they're still loathed by most players, and that's okay. It's okay <laughs> I, to well, exist. My, I, I always used to say I loved hating every moment of Demon Souls <laughs> and, hated exactly. it, and hated every moment of loving it. <laughs> exactly and and that's totally okay like no they did from software i think it's from software who makes it right yeah from software didn't expect that game to to be as widely popular as as it was so it's good good on them that it was but the 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 i mean there are a ton i know a lot more people who don't like those kind of games than than like them so they exist in this uh we're a very small studio that could make games of high quality for a niche target audience market and there are a lot of other games that exist in that sense. There, there's Machinarium is a very puzzle-heavy game that came out like was six or seven years ago. Machinarium was really loved by, a, a, again, a significant demographic, right? But again, not widely played. There are a lot of people who just, if you look at the reviews, it, it's um, most of the people who, who give positive reviews have played it for very many, many, many hours. And the people who, um, but it's actually one of the most refunded games on Steam. So. It's it's both of those things, and it's okay that it's both both of of those things. We can't expect mainstream games to do away with the handholding because there's a lot of competition now. And right now, price points isn't the barrier; it's time. And you want people to come back to your game. You don't want them to ever uh, feel like there's there's any barrier to that. So for the, again, speaking from AAA, so we we have two categories, two pools of games, and they have very different approaches, and they're both good. I'm very happy that they both exist because now with having like myself over a thousand six hundred games on Steam, <laughs> I can imagine that tons of people have. I, I play a lot of games just for an hour or two to get the gist of it. By the way, mm-hmm. I, I don't play all that much, um, but like there are a lot of people who are in the same boat as me. They don't the number of games they have is not important now. They're very selective with which games, where they put their time. And oftentimes when they find a game that they like for the, all the reasons that they appreciate games, they stick to it. And you see a lot of people with huge libraries, but they keep playing the same two or three games. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Now, are you playing anything right now that, that is a, a puzzle game or includes elements of puzzles in it? Oh, uh, that's a good question. What's the closest that I've come to that? No, I, I would say not recently. The, Right now, I picked up the new Magic: The Gathering Arena. Uh, it's I'm a huge Magic: The Gathering mm, player. Played, yeah, I mean on on and off for twenty years, but still on and off. Um, no one ever, and, no one ever quits Magic: The Gathering. Yeah, <laughs> I did it one time, and then I came back. But like, I mean, I, by by quitting is because I gave away all my cards, so mm. there was a full reset on my collection. So that's the time I actually believed I was actually quitting. All the other times, I just kept it in a box in a closet. Uh, learned my lesson because it was really <laughs> hard to get back some of those old cards and some of them are gone oh, yeah. forever that's a puzzle game like it kind of is it i don't know no, no. it's I it's it's, it's like okay it can be but it's not i mean magic the gathering in the same way as chess if you had a very specific scenario where you give a player very specific cards and tell them to 
you know achieve a very specific goal, then it becomes a puzzle. And the old uh, Magic the Gathering games on Steam used to have elements of that in their tutorials. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. they would say, "Hey, this is a combat sequence. This is um, how do you, how you cast a spell, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. And you ha- you had a few very few options, and once you did it, you could move on to the next one. Very easy puzzles, but they were used to train the player. But as a game itself, there's so much randomness in Magic the Gathering that it's not a puzzle game anymore at all. Sure, yeah. So Magic the Gathering, not a puzzle game, but contains elements of puzzle solving, would you say? Yes. Yes. And yeah, and and, um, I played the Duels of the Planeswalkers games on Steam, which weirdly enough did not seem like they were optimized to be played on PC because my processor use went to like 100% when I played those games, even though it was literally... You're just mining Bitcoin. I guess, dude. I don't know. I just remember like I would... I would play pretty graphically intense games and like, sure, my, my PC would make a little bit of noise with the fans would kick on. But dude, when I would crank up duels of the planeswalkers, it sounded like a jet was taking off inside my office. It was, <laughs> I, it was I had the same experience. It was it's shocking. I still remember it. It's shocking. It's just, it, you nailed it. It wasn't optimized. It was, it was, it was funny, but those, <laughs> but those games did actually have really fun. I remember the challenge modes in those ones were exactly like what you're talking about where they're like here's the situation you know your opponent's on one hit point how do you get you know a single point of damage through and that and that stuff was really fun especially because i also i also played the physical card game but I, so far i've successfully i've successfully quit i i got rid of all my cards a while back and i have not relapsed on magic the Gathering. So. <laughs> i was gonna say i haven't played uh, magic since i left ubisoft because uh, i was part of the magic group there and we had a lot of activity uh, but I miss it. I still have my cards hoping that crack them open someday and play again. My decks are still sealed. Oh, I mean, don't don't get me wrong. Like, I, I see a new expansion come out for Magic the Gathering, and I think, ooh, what if? But I, <laughs> but I managed to keep myself from doing it. Now I just spend all my money on other board games. I don't know if that's any better or worse. Much, but. much better, much better. <laughs> Stick with that. <laughs> How about you, Jared? Are you playing any games right now that, that have any good puzzle mechanics or puzzle games right now? So I talked on the last episode quite a bit about Spider-Man, and at that time I had not beaten it. I just finished Spider-Man, and I probably could not say enough good things about that game, but it does have little, I guess, side puzzles that you can do. They're, they're, it, it's in the form of like scientific research, and you're, you're basically solving these little line puzzles, one of them you like match up lines and um, it's like, you know, this line's either on or off. You have to figure out the right combination. And the other one is like a, like a complete the circuit type puzzle. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I really enjoy those. I think it's, it's a nice way to break up the, the combat, the swinging around, which I think are both excellent. Uh, and you kind of just get to see, you know, solve these, these quick one-off puzzles. It takes less than five minutes per puzzle and you get upgrades, which you can put into, um, stuff that goes towards combat. So, yeah, it's like it's just a nice little break, and, and and it ends up giving you rewards in game, which you can use elsewhere. Now, now, am I mistaken, or did that does Spider Man allow you to skip the puzzle? Uh, I did not see an option to skip the puzzles, but I, the very I think there was maybe like two sequences where you had to do them to progress the story because mm. they're 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 not very difficult, especially the ones the story ones. I think those ones are made a little bit easier than. Um, some of the later ones that you can do, but yeah, I didn't, I didn't see a, a skip puzzle solution. I think that game does. I haven't played it. So I is it like be, an accessibility option. It, it very well might be. And this is something I, I wanted to talk about while we have you here, Osama. Oh yeah. You can, you can skip puzzles and turn off quick time events. So there you go. Mm. Is that good? Cause I, cause I think it's their approach to making the game more accessible. 
which I, which I want to say is like 100% of the time a good thing. Like the, the more people who are able to enjoy the game, the better. But is there an element where it sort of defeats the point? Or, or how do you view, you know, the capability to uh, bypass puzzles in relation to accessibility? Uh, actually, I'm 100% for it. I think it's really important to let people play the game that they want, the way they want to play it. Um, or the way they can play it. Both those things are true. Uh, so accessibility is just the way they, they can play it. So uh, there are a lot of younger people or maybe people with some kind of learning disability who that solving a puzzle for them is just not within the, like, their reach. Um, or, and others who, you know, maybe they can solve it with their mind, but they don't have the, the, the dexterity or the ability to be able to action it. Either way, uh, allowing people to skip it, it doesn't take away from anyone else's experience anyway. If this is a thing that they want, uh, it's up to the player to decide if they uh, if if it's important for them or not. You know, if if this is like going to break the game for them or not. Of course yeah, I mean, be. you you could take both of those things at the quick times and the puzzles out of Spider Man, and I would not have noticed it. It was just a nice little addition, I think. Exactly. Generally, the puzzles are there for not necessarily for the people who want puzzles. Uh, but they're there for pacing reasons, and they're also there, uh, and this is a production secret, but they're also there because they allow players to remain in the same real estate, <laughs> game real estate, for a longer period of time, uh, which basically extends the, the gameplay. Uh, imagine you spent a lot of time creating a very good-looking room. If you don't give a player a lot of reasons to stay in that room, you've wasted a lot of production time. So th hmm. if you're talking about specifically level design, um, the traditional level design often in, in 3D games was corridor, room, corridor, room, corridor, room. Um, so one of the reasons, as I mentioned, is pacing. If, if the corridors didn't have combat, then the rooms would have combat. And then the corridors would give a break from the combat, and then the rooms would be combat again. Or the uh, old beat-em-ups, they would have uh, a series of, of uh, easy uh, opponents, and then a boss fight, and then more easy opponents, and then a boss fight. That breaking keeps things in interesting. And uh, it, tricks, it allows the player to play the same gameplay for a longer period of time. Pacing is really important. Um, the more different types of gameplay that you have that are compatible with each other, the better uh, the, the pacing of your game is. You could actually look at Uncharted, for example. Uncharted is one of the masters of pacing. They, I don't know how, like, what their formula is, but it's, like, it's incredible. They, you're, you're, you engage in combat. A moment before you're bored of, of combat you're platforming. And a moment before you're bored of platforming, you're actually in a room and either engaging in more combat or trying to solve a puzzle. But it's so seamless. It, it feels so seamless while you're playing. If you're studying it, you see it. It's very apparent. Mm -hmm. But while you're playing, it feels so seamless, the transition from one to the other. It just feels like you have one long gameplay se sequence when in, in fact they have a series of gameplay blocks. And the environments that are designed around these um, take that into consideration. So it's... If you have... If you notice, the amount of love and work that they put in the rooms that include a puzzle in them exceeds that of the ones that you just traverse a small pass. And that's normal. Like, th that's smart business. You're spending more time in environments. So th this justifies them spending more time in an environment and making the environment smaller and making it look good so that when they have to market it, they could take screenshots in those environments you know, or like the, uh, alongside the ones in the action sequences, right? Mm -hmm. And and it just it's not just for marketing. That's part of it as well, but the, it, it gives a, 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 the illusion that there's a lot of different gameplay that's happening when, in fact, it's just a, a, a clever uh, orchestration of different gameplay blocks one after the 
other. Sorry, I'm trying to use not too technical terms. So if there's anything no. that I say that's okay, th- th- nothing I said like was too difficult to understand. No, no, no. It's great. It's it's okay. it's all stuff that um, up until we started talking about doing this episode, I would have never even really considered why you put puzzle games in a game like Uncharted, which is more a, more or less like an action game. Yes. Um, now for me. I actually kind of found the puzzles in Uncharted to be a little distracting and I might be alone in that. But um, the stuff that I love in Uncharted was when the action and the platforming came together. Like when, when, when you were platforming, especially in some of those, like, you know, the, the big bombastic moments um, and you're also engaged in combat to me, that's where that game really shined. And then, and then this makes me think of a game that I'm currently playing that uses puzzle mechanics, which is destiny Two. And, and a lot of the puzzle mechanics for Destiny 2 are housed inside of the raids. But for me, Destiny 2 really shines when you're not just mindlessly mowing down enemies, but when you're also having to problem solve in the middle of that, which the raids provide a lot of opportunities to do. So to kind of try, try to tie it to the Uncharted comparison, like it, it's when all of the elements kind of come together at one point is where it is where the puzzles really shine for me, at least in, in relation to, to destiny. Um, Absolutely. But keep in a- mind that if you're, uh, if that was the entirety of destiny two, that would be a very heavy cognitive load on you. So they need to break it apart. They need to give you some moments of just like walking through a beautiful environment and mm-hmm. they need to give you moments of just shoot people in that direction. And then they can bring it to the puzzle solving while you're shooting people. Otherwise it's just, it's too heavy. We, we, we get fatigued. Uh, pacing is to remove not just boredom but also fatigue. Um, so the, the, it's, it's very masterfully done because they already have pro- arguably the best shooting mechanics in any game ever. In Destiny, um, but pe- some players fell off because you know they they get bored of that. Like different player personalities have different mm-hmm. to play games, and some of them um, you know they needed a little something a little bit more cognitive. So Destiny really hit a sweet spot with that. Uh, it's masterful not to take the conversation away from destiny but spider-man does pacing super well it's like one of the things i enjoyed about it the most honestly is because you would go from something very urgently needs to be taken care of you need to report you need to respond to this crime to now spider-man's helping clearing the pipes out of this apartment building and and doing environmental cleanup or doing like those little side puzzles. I felt like every beat had some kind it worked a different part of my brain. And it was just, it was a very like satisfying gameplay loop where you're not just always doing one thing over and over again. Uh, I'm looking at you dead cells, which I've also been playing <laughs> shots fired, banging um, my heads against that. I mean, it's a great game, but man, is it uh, you see that first level a lot <laughs> and you, and you need to kind of like, take breaks from those games you can, even if you love them you need to come back to them later like doom is another game that's like that doom is like the, the re- rebooting of doom right the new one that came out um it, it was a incredible game the, the narrative um the, or the lack thereof or you know the the uh paced narrative compared like uh, juxtaposed on the uh, drive forward gameplay that they, they they pretty much instrumented was phenomenal like that the merging of um, just action, action, action with just enough story to get you by is something mm-hmm. that very, very few AAA games have been doing. And it's actually very close to what we used to experience. By we, I mean, me, people in my age group. I don't know how, how old you two are. 
So, but we used to experience growing up, like, well, these are the kind of FPS games that we used to play before. But the problem is, as much as I love Doom, I, I couldn't play it for more than an hour straight. It was exhausted. It was just mm-hmm. constant. Like, the pacing of that game was left a little to be desired for me. And this is a personal taste. And other people uh, have different levels of tolerance to, for pacing. Um, so it took me many sittings to be able to finish it just because of that. And uh, sometimes I actually was, after finishing work at night, um, I was I said okay you know I'm, I'm gonna play a game ah oh, but not Doom you know I'm a little tired Doom is it's gonna take a lot out of me I'll just play this easy thing over here this, this smaller game that had better pacing and uh, I'll come back to Doom when I'm more rested I don't know if you had that experience as well but that's what pacing does that's one of the things that pacing yeah. does is it allows you to to catch your breath and not leave the game to get a little bit of a breather so you could you know push through further the best part of playing Doom for me was definitely like the first hour I would play it each day. Mm-hmm. And then, and then I would reach a point where I was like, okay, I'm, I'm done with that. I'm overstimulated <laughs> time, yeah, time to go I know. sit in a quiet room for a bit. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, but we, Gears I, of War did a good job of that because Ge- Gears of War was very similar action, action, action as well. Not, not as pushed as doom, but Gears of War had like talky moments, you know, it had mm-hmm. um, puzzle solving moments, but just enough, just enough so that the player didn't put the controller down they were able to catch our breath and then move on mm. to the next sequence. Can we just talk about the perfect, like the best puzzle game ever made, Portal? I'm gonna, yes. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make that statement, and I'm just guessing that all of us agree with that statement. It's a bold statement. I, it is. Oh, I'm, gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna guess that everyone listening to this agrees with that statement. Dang, that's I know, a good I'm game for bold. sure. I don't know if I'm, I'm ready to uh, concede. Best, best I'm, ever. Oh, I'm ready. I, I'm jumping. Yeah, right. yes, it's <laughs> yeah my favorite. I got one. <laughs> it's definitely my favorite puzzle game of all time. Uh, it is very, very good. Um, if you're talking about yeah, puzzle video game, puzzle or a puzzle video game. Yeah, it's a puzzle video game, right? Yeah, mechanically, it is a puzzle game. It's a series of uh, puzzles, but it had this narrative that was so interwoven in it that it was masterfully done that. You could not even be a fan of puzzles and really, really enjoy them. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's something that's very hard to pull off. It I always think... made you feel like a genius. And that was my yes. favorite thing about yeah. that. Once you figured mm-hmm. out, you're like, I am so smart. Yes. Yeah, that's a that's a dragon I've been chasing with a lot of other puzzle games after that. Like, I, you know, I was a really big fan. I played Braid long after it originally came out. And it kind of scratched that same itch that Portal did. Like when you solve some of those problems, you go like, I'm a genius. But man, nothing nothing has done it like Portal. But Osama, you you mentioned something that I think is maybe for me the most important thing that Portal did the best, which is that it married the narrative and the puzzle solving together in this um, inseparable way, where the the actions that you were taking to solve puzzles were part of the story. Where I think a lot of times, you know, we, we talked about Resident Evil or Uncharted. I feel like those puzzles are very separate from what the story is doing or what yes. the, the main gameplay loop is doing. And in Portal, it just it married the narrative and the gameplay and the problem solving. Like it, it just it nailed it. It nailed it so well. And that's why that's why I say it's the best. And that's why you should say it's the best too, Jared. <laughs> it, it's it's it is the best. Thank you. I got. I got two. <laughs> now I just need. Now I just need to convince all our listeners to all say the same thing. <laughs> I bet you ninety ninety five percent of them agree already. Yeah, yeah like I don't think we get too much fight back on that one. <laughs> yeah. 
it's, it's, <laughs> it's just it's, so it's so perfect. I don't even really know what else to say. Like that was that's the big thing for me uh, that that makes it the best. But so actually, that's not unique to to Portal or puzzle games. Um, if you have, I'm sure you've heard of the concept of ludo narrative dissonance at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. So the, that drives me crazy with games like Grand Theft Auto, even though I do enjoy the like world games and that makes games that are even mechanically inferior uh makes them easier to play for me for example like sleeping dogs uh, or like red dead is like probably my all-time favorite open world game uh, because of that it's the best it's It's the best i'll say that too (laughs) red dead redemption is the best open world video game ever made (laughs) like to, to me the atmosphere in that game and just like you can you are an outlaw but you're confined by the rules of the law so whatever you do is okay there's no there's no um the, the the narrative is perfectly married to the mechanics like you could you know kill someone and you're like whatever you were an outlaw at one point or mm-hmm. you could choose not to and whatever because you have to like and sleeping dogs did the exact same thing you were an undercover cop and if you do kill too many people you're going to be kicked off the force but if you don't uh like commit enough crimes then you're going to be suspected so that keeping you within those um you know mm. gu- guidelines allowed the, the the narrative to be merged with the mechanics of those open world do whatever you want games so there was like do whatever you want with an asterisk either do whatever you want but not too much or not too little or do whatever you want and it makes sense to the story regardless uh, so for portal it was that it was hey we are going to put you in a series of experiments that are puzzles because this is how like that makes sense in our narrative so it, it, it was masterfully done but it's really hard to do another puzzle game right now to create another puzzle game that has uh, that uh, has the same kind of uh, cohesion between narrative and mm. puzzles. Because how many other narratives can you think of <laughs> that you could do that with? You, do you know what I mean? Like it's, exactly. How many settings so, can you put them in? I mean, I, exactly. Last Halloween season, I watched the the Cube. You're seeing that? I'd like to yes. see that into a video game. It's a Canadian that be, movie. That might be kind of dope. <laughs> Bring it back. That would be, yeah, that would be great. Like a horror type movie with a like saw, like saw, saw. But with puzzles, yes. or you you could do something maybe like Prison Break, where you have different nights, and each night you have a limited series of time to create a thing, and then it goes back to the action or narrative sequences. Mm-hmm. There are other approaches, but so the, all of those they still need other gameplay. Well, this is specifically room with puzzle, room with puzzle, room with puzzle, and it didn't feel odd. It felt perfect. Well. The the area where I have seen um, a lot more interest in marrying the narrative with the with the puzzle solving is lately in VR development. We've seen a lot of games that are replicating the escape room model, and that yes. to me sounds very exciting for VR because then you are bringing in those those puzzle elements, but making it an, a, a a part of the story being told in those scenarios well on that note what what about uh have you guys played the room or the room i don't think there's like three of them now but they um the first one i played i Mm -hmm. played on ipad ios game it it is amazing it's basic like the first one is pretty simple like you have a box um figure out how to open the box and you just do it by like spinning around and it is it it tells a narrative over time it's really cool and i recommend if you were interested in puzzle games to check it out um i don't know there's a few of them now i don't know if any one's better than the other but i've only played the first one <laughs> i've only played the first one as well but yeah i agree with you that that is a very good game on a similar note uh keep talking and nobody explodes i i don't <laughs> mm. know i only think i saw that game when it was like an early access does that game have a narrative to it 
Or is it just like you just here's, well, you keep, you keep talking, you keep talking, and nobody, nobody explodes. <laughs> it's more of a narrative. <laughs> the narrative is how you lost a group of friends playing that game because you all hate each other now. Um, yeah, yeah, you should play cool, it again. I, I it's actually a lot more polished now than it was uh, when it first came out because it used to be a game jam game that they polished up. It's uh, it's mm, really gotcha. Good. It's really really good. Yeah, so, I, yeah, I, I still think that there are creative ways, you know, especially, with, like you said, Steve, like, um, Keep Talking, Nobody Explodes, I think, was originally a VR game first. Is that true? Uh, I, I don't know if that's the case. I think okay. they, they ported it. It was, well, in any yeah, case. it was play on a laptop and someone else has a book type game. I don't think it was VR initially. Lots but it lends itself very well to VR. Mm-hmm. Yeah, lots of opportunities there. Yeah. Now, Osama, do you, do you think that um, something like VR or maybe even uh, AR is going to uh, reinvigorate a I don't, like a group of people who are interested in puzzle games or making puzzle games? Do you think that we'll sort of see a resurgence in dedicated puzzle games developed specifically for those platforms? And if yes. and, and if so, why? Uh, I, actually, the best... I cannot remember what it's called, but the best uh, AR game I've played was exactly that. It basically, t- you scanned your room, and then it put a crime... Uh, like evidence of oh my god in your room yeah <laughs> and you had to like find uh, it's like a forensics game but it was a puzzle and you had to try to figure out what happened in that room it was beautiful it was that's, masterful that's pretty awesome i like that idea a lot that's amazing if i remember the name of the game i'll, I'll like send it to you someone needs to get someone with an ar an ability to make an ar game needs to get the clue license and make yes. oh my god yes. that would you be nailed so it, Jared. cool we're gonna, like, this name, part, name we're gonna cut this part, part out we're gonna cut this part TM, out so TM, that people TM. don't hear. Yeah, people don't hear it and steal that idea. <laughs> I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna mail this podcast to us and uh, see it with a stamp. I, I'm, gonna, about, I'm gonna demand that Tim Curry be in the AR version of Clue. <laughs> yes, whenever it gets made. Heck yes. I think he'll demand to be in it. <laughs> <laughs> so the, think about it this way: uh, for uh, mobile games when they first came out, uh, like I'm talking about smartphones, right? Like when when you're able to do more than just have a tiny screen and your numpad. Um, the air, the first mobile games that came out tried to mimic console games because, or that's mm-hmm. uh, that's what was a game back then. That's what defined the the uh, like the, that that's what people thought of. So they had like yeah. virtual D pads, and they had the, it, it. It tried to emulate Super Nintendo or like more on your phone. And then later on, you figured out uh, like developers figured out, oh no, wait, Angry Birds, you know that works really well. <laughs> Just like swiping on the screen, like let's use the strengths of this platform instead of trying to take other uh, games that were better on other platforms and putting them there. It's it's natural to go through this. So I'm not make, necessarily making fun of... I've made games that mm-hmm. had virtual D-pads as well. That's It's fine. It takes a while before you find the strengths of a, of, a, of a platform. And AR, a lot of the strengths of it is just that. It's hidden information and you try to find it. And that, like, just just by me saying that, hidden information in a room, that is a puzzle to solve right there. Mm-hmm. So it lends itself really well to that. And that that's... the it's no coincidence for vr it might be a little bit different but still like because the information is still hidden in the 3d space around you but it's a little bit more limited than ar so i think ar is better suited uh, for puzzle solving specifically than vr uh, that's just my my hot take and if i think about it for another hour i might change my mind <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's how i see it now before we wrap this conversation up i wanted to actually loop back around to something that we talked about a little earlier, which was the way that the internet has changed the way puzzles are designed. And we talked a little bit about how some of the puzzle development has got a little more handholdy or become a little more obvious within the within the game itself. But one of the things that the 
this like move away from obscure puzzle design as a result of the internet has had i think a, a really cool impact on game design is the idea of these like grand puzzles uh, and I don't know if you guys know what I'm talking about, but like one of my yes. favorite one of my favorite games is The Binding of Isaac, which included in that game a character called the Lost, which could only be unlocked as a playable character if you executed very specific things in a very specific order. So you had to like play as a certain character in the game, make it to a certain floor and and be killed by a certain enemy or play as a certain character and blow yourself up with with a bomb. But the way that all of this information came together was there were a lot of very tiny little clues left in that game that were, I mean, they were actually puzzle pieces. And it was not one person who solved the game. It was the entire community coming mm. together with these little hints to solve the puzzle. And and I think that I think that that's really neat because it's not like you, I mean, once the puzzle solved, of course you go online and you, you know, you do the, the solution, but I love that idea of like, look, if you're going to use the internet, we're going to make you use the internet for its intended purpose, which is gathering, you know, a lot of information together in one spot in order to be able to accomplish something. Do you know of any of those like kinds of grand puzzles, Osama? Is there anything that was like that sticks out in your mind as being done very well in regards to that? Well, I, I, there's one that was done well, but maybe dragged a little too long, <laughs> which was uh, a marketing campaign for Overwatch for the re release of uh, Sombra. Mm -hmm. character but yeah. they hinted at her and you're able to guess but uh you know the, the fans uh, eventually even though they loved it initially they eventually got a little bit tired because it dragged on for too long so i think having it be in the game where they could solve it is a little bit better than using it for marketing there's mm -hmm. a um a game in Mon based out of montreal that i did play it's an alternate reality game i think it's called the black watchman uh but that is the entire concept of the game because the game is not really playable on your own you join a community and you try to solve each episode hmm. uh, so i think that's more in line with what you're asking about yeah. and i did contribute to it but to be honest i didn't stick around to see how far that went <laughs> uh, it's it's very it's it's a huge time commitment oh or it's actually, certainly is yeah you, you choose your level of time commitment so i guess that's why i chose to, to play a little bit less but it's 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 a brilliant approach. There are people who love that kind of thing, and I'm very happy that there are developers who are creating games around that concept. And yeah, I'm and, sure I, and more I'm of not those will I'm not the kind of person who who engages in that, especially like that that AR for um, for Overwatch. But I enjoyed watching it from the outside. I mean, it was it was still really cool to see the community try to solve these problems, and and they did a pretty you know the Overwatch community uh, did a very good job of explaining how they arrived at certain solutions right like like oh this is just a simple cipher and and we just had to figure out what you know the code to put into the cipher was to figure out what this meant or this is a a broken image and like if we look at the code of the image then we get this in you know this url that's been implanted in there out of it you know it's like it's really cool stuff like that to see so I just thought I just thought we we couldn't escape this conversation without mentioning I think one of the other like really cool big things that's come out of out of the the impact that the internet has had on puzzle design in games. Hundred percent, um, yes. But let, let's go and bring this this uh, conversation to a close. Osama, moving forward, how how can the video game industry improve on the way that it implements puzzles in games? I think they. The puzzles need to be designed either by or in conjunction with uh, the level or environment designers. 
Um, a lot of the, like the, the the biggest failing I see in AAA games, I won't mention which because you know I have a lot of friends who work on games and <laughs> I don't want to accidentally uh, insult anybody. But the the ones that do puzzles poorly, even if the puzzle itself is well designed, is when it it doesn't mesh well with the either the narrative or more likely the, the level design that's when you walk into a room and uh, the room telegraphs what the puzzle is going to be about in too clear of a way where it, it just feels like that is a room that would never exist in reality i mean there's a these there's a fine line between when that is acceptable uh, like portal where the room was designed for that puzzle or like in many rooms in uncharted where you have to solve this tra uh, this this puzzle to move forward but there are other situations where it's like it's it's telegraphed so hard that you see oh there are three mm -hmm. elements in this room and these are exactly the three that I need to go forward that that eventually um, the players are not able to suspend their disbelief and it just feels like it, it starts to feel like a chore uh, it's a layer that, uh, added to the game that this is really just not uh, not necessary and completely avoidable because um, if you if the level designer who's designing the puzzles is given enough time. There are very simple things that you could put into place to prevent that. Yeah, there's definitely been times I think like in <laughs> in like Resident Evil where uh, like you you'll walk into a room and you're like, okay, I've got a red gem and I've got a blue gem. <laughs> so the the red gem goes in the red statue, the blue gem goes in the blue statue, and shit, there's Com also a combine green this statue. door handle with <laughs> this green powder I found. Nope, not there. Yeah, combine exactly. door handle with this fish. I don't know. <laughs> got it. and i'm just i'm thinking more like you know you, you you walk into the room and you've got two of the pieces to solve the puzzle but then there's clearly one piece that you've missed somewhere and you have no idea <laughs> where it is but like they've <laughs> they've telegraphed that you need it you know it's like well dang it that's now i gotta go find the the green gem because yeah. that's somewhere in the world and i know it exists that, that that's actually good game design is that they telegraph that it's missing so you know to leave that room uh, because you don't want to have a player hit their head on a wall too many times. Uh, it's uh, so yeah, it's it's a little telegraphed too hard, but I mean, or too too blatant. But mm. uh, what I'm talking more about is when you walk into a room and it's just four white walls. It exists in a mansion, and there's just a door in the middle, and there's no mm. signs that anyone has lived there or this room was used for anything at all. But the handle is broken, and the puzzle is how do you fix the handle of the door? Mm -hmm. And you know, there's like there's a screwdriver there but the screwdriver doesn't work because it's the right the wrong shape and there's like th these three elements this room could not have existed otherwise <laughs> so as soon as the, pl the the player walks into the room they're like what what is this like the rest of the mansion is so elaborately decorated and i just walked into puzzle room number three uh, that, that's <laughs> this is an extreme case but i mean if you mm. play a lot of games with puzzles and you move from the combat room that has cover to the puzzle room that doesn't uh and, and you could you just walk in a room and you understand exactly what you have to do uh and the, the the narrative all the hard work that the narrative designers environmental designers did for the rest of the environment kind of get thrown out the door mm -hmm. uh, so there's 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 this fine line um that is definitely achievable because there are many games that do uh, you know succeed in doing that where the narrative wrapper that's applied on top of the puzzle is in harmony with the rest of the game so just put in a little bit more effort to make that happen Make the, the rooms have other purposes, narrative purposes, uh, even if not gameplay pur purposes, like hide the puzzles better. And yeah, I, I think I would just piggyback off that, you know, like Portal being one of my favorite puzzle games that's ever been made, I think really highlighted how important it was, at least for me as the player, to have the, the puzzle mechanics married with the narrative. And I know that's not necessarily always 
feasible or realistic given, you know, whatever video game world has been designed. But I would like to see more often if you're going to include puzzles that it has a, a purpose within the the overall story of the game and that it's not just it's not just there because it's a video game, yeah, which exactly. I think I think happens a lot of times. It's like, well, we're, we're making this kind of game, so we have to have the puzzle components and it, it, it feels arbitrary sometimes. So I, I, w- I would like to see uh, a little more consideration giving to, you know, does the game need puzzles or does it make sense in the in the story that we've we've crafted? How about you, Jared? How can the games industry improve on the way that it, it, it designs puzzles, implements puzzles in games? Yeah, you guys kind of nailed on both the things I wanted to say as far as relating it back to the narrative and how it uh, ties in with the rest of the mechanics. But like I said, in Spider-Man, I really enjoyed the you get to swing around, you get to fight thugs on the ground, on rooftops, but then you also get to go into a lab and, and solve, you know, like a puzzle. So it's just like it gives you a break between things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, and it works with Spider-Man, you know, he gets to fight in the streets and be cool in, in a lab like a, like a big nerd. So. I don't know. I think that's, that, that stuff is cool. I don't like being frustrated when I play a game. You know, we have Silent Hill on our show notes, Silent Hill 3, a few times. We didn't really talk about it too much. But, yeah, there, I remember playing that game and just getting, like, stuck on a puzzle where it was just like, this is not fun. Like, the strength of this game is not wandering around and, and fighting enemies over and over again just to figure out what I'm supposed to do with this one puzzle. So, I, you know, the, I just don't want a... a good puzzles get in the way of an otherwise good game and, and you end up missing out well and this goes to something that i think would be cool to see more from um developers as, as we're looking at puzzles is the accessibility options in relation to puzzles right we've recently seen i think the the tomb the most recent tomb raider game had options separate difficulty options for combat for platforming and for puzzles and i think it would be i think it would be really cool for people to be able to sort of customize that puzzle experience for themselves, you know, like obviously the, the, the target would be for people who have, you know, potentially cognitive disabilities or anything like that. But, um, but yeah, for, for, yeah, just, I guess the sake of, of ease of getting through a game and enjoying your experience with the game, more accessibility options. It's always good. Yeah. I mean, especially with Tomb Raider, right? It's like, I'm not, I don't, I don't want to come to this for the puzzles. You know, I'm, I'm not saying that this is me because I actually personally like those puzzles. Um, but you could be like, I just want to see like a really cool cinematic game. So turn all that other stuff off. And mm-hmm. I, I think that's a completely valid perspective as well. Absolutely. And, I, and I, I'm curious to hear what our listeners think about puzzles or how puzzles could be improved. So if you're listening and you have any thoughts on puzzles, go ahead and send us an email at podcast at gbfeature.com or connect with us at gbfeature on Twitter. We still have narcosis codes. Granted, we're recording this episode before our last episode came out if that makes if you can follow the 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 looper is timeline pre, is this the pre-taped calling show the, the the inception that we have going on here but yeah we we, we still have narcosis codes i think <laughs> yeah we should we assuming should. that we didn't give them all away after our last future. episode comes out which is going to be in the future uh if you're listening to this it was it's in the past for you <laughs> God, that's not confusing. If you wanted at to all. call in well, for last week's show, you had to call in today. I know, such a great skit, such a great skit. I love, um, this. I love. Yeah, Mr. so show. I guess, I guess for for these set of narcosis codes, what I want to hear from people is like, what is your 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 most infamous puzzle? Like, what what puzzle sticks out in your mind from all puzzles and all the Ooh, games? that's a good. Um, one. I I don't know if I have an answer for that right now, but I, I'm sure there are some really infamous like difficult puzzles out there. Mm-hmm. 
definitely send those along because we want to get rid of these uh, narcosis codes. That being said, let's go ahead and jump into a little bit of our listener feedback from what what episode? Where where do we get feedback from? I think we got some good feedback on our romance episode, right, Jared? Yeah, we had one of our, our good friends, Geary. He he wrote in, and we were talking about what's your favorite romance in games and how how is romance handled in your favorite games. Geary writes, my favorite romantic relationship in a game would probably be Geralt and Triss slash Yennefer from the Witcher series. Uh, I'll preface this by admitting I've only played The Witcher 3. I haven't beaten yet. Damn side quests. Uh, but it's my favorite because it is the closest to the struggle of trying to figure out just what in the hell your heart actually wants when faced with two choices. Uh, there are many reasons a person might fall in love with someone, and some people have the misfortune of finding that in two people at once. Uh, also, I like that if you don't... This, this is a Witcher 3 spoiler, so if you guys are not through that yet, close your... Skip the next 10 seconds. Uh, but if you if you try to um, woo both Tristan and Annifer, you end up leaving with none of them. Uh, he says, other than that, it's probably the familial love Luigi obviously feels for Mario. I, I did say that, right? <laughs> yeah, that's a good bro. That's like a bromance. No, I'm pretty sure you shipped Mario and Luigi in that episode. You I'm not going to let you live them. There. You put words in my mouth. No, I did not. But maybe you, I shipped them. You conveniently cut it out of the episode, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that 30-minute sidebar we had. Um, ugh, wasn't there some weird Bowser stuff that just happened? I, never, I don't know. <laughs> I, think uh, we talked, he, I think we talked with Kim about sexy Bowsers, because I think she's a, <laughs> she's a big Bowser fan. Anyways, thank you, Gary, for writing in. Um, yeah, that's a, th- that's a good... I, I do like that. If we're on romance again, I, I want to talk about Spider-Man again, because it does some fun things <laughs> um, with, his, with him and his ex-girlfriend in the game, and I just think it's a really nice story touch, and he's like, am I an asshole? And uh, it's always fun to, to get that perspective on some, some of your characters. And how about you, Osama? Do you, have, do you have a game that sticks out in your mind as having a, a, a romance that sticks out? That's a uh, anything from the Dragon Age series. Bioware is pretty good at that. That's kind That's, of the thing. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, and in that in that email, I appreciate that he, you know, sort of saw the the difficulty of trying to decide between two people, each who probably provides you know uh, something unique for the Geralt character. I think that if I was presented with a choice between two people, that would be way more difficult for me in a video game than if I'm presented with it with a choice between like 10 people, you know, oh, like man. it's 10 I, people. I'm just trying to smash like just all of them. <laughs> just, just every time flirt, 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 hit that flirt button. But they called um, me out in that game. That's not even in video games. I'm monogamous. Come on. I don't think I could. I don't, I don't know, man. I don't know that I could, I could cheat on another character in a video game. I don't think I. I don't think I have it in me. I would feel like too heartbroken. You never played Leisure Suit Larry. <laughs> no, never played Leisure <laughs> Suit Larry. Cool. So th- thank you for sending that email. Email, Geary. God, I'm, email. we're approaching the. We're approaching the end of the episode, and as it was usual, a pretty I'm, good I'm, run up I'm, until just now. But I well, good job. <laughs> I know, I, but I, I'm losing my ability to speak as usual. Um, we'll catch it in post, right? Mm-hmm. No, Jared. <laughs> well, Jared will leave this in. I'm sure. <laughs> so thank you, Geary, for sending that email in. Again, you can send us your own emails at podcast at GB Feature or connect with us at GB Feature on Twitter. And let us know your favorite puzzle so we can give you an Arcosis code. I think that's going to do it. Yeah, I think that's, a, that's a good place. That, that's going to do it for this episode. Before we get out of here, <laughs> before we get out of here, I have to thank our guest, Osama Dorius. Thank you so much for being here, man. It's been 
it's been eye-opening. It's been a pleasure to have you on, man. It, it, it was a really cool talk. I feel you. like I learned something. I, I did. I, I don't know. know if I like that feeling. It's weird. <laughs> thank you. I really appreciate the invite. Of course. I had man. a really good time talking to both of you. Oh, thank you. Where can people find your work? How can they keep up with what you're, with what you're doing? Lay, lay the details on them. Well, I'm pretty active on uh, Twitter. So you could go to at uh, osamadorius.com. Sorry, just at Osama Doris because it's Twitter. But if you uh, want to, to see what my work is about, you could go to my website at osamadorius.com. Um, that's pretty much it. Those are the, the best two places. I mean, uh, I also have a Facebook account, but that's more for friends and family. So, you know, <laughs> not for you. I can invite all that. <laughs> no, you two, you two are family now. So, you can add <laughs> <Perfect. on> Facebook. <laughs> and definitely, and, uh, definitely follow Osama on Twitter and get the details on that uh, amazing DC game that he's got cooking up. <laughs> Looking yeah. forward to it, man. And and definitely uh, let us know when you're able to announce more details because we'd be more than happy to 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 share that stuff as you're as you're able to talk more about it. Absolutely, I'll book you when we're ready to announce it. Awesome, man. And and thank you again for being here. As a reminder, we release new episodes of this podcast every two weeks. Be sure we? to subscribe. Um, well, <laughs> we, semi regularly. Hopefully, we're back on our two. It's season schedule. two. No season. breaks in season two. That's a good hiatus, right? <laughs> sure. Yeah, we totally planned that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no but we're going to try to release episodes every two weeks hopefully we're back on our regular schedule uh we're, we're working hard to, to keep the episodes coming we got some really great guests lined up it'll just be a, a matter of if uh if i can get the scheduling done because everyone's been so gracious and i'm like i don't know floundering <laughs> but be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss anything uh if you like what we do and want to help us out head over to our itunes give us a review i want to thank kyle clark for making our theme song you can check out his podcast this is rad on itunes uh, i'm stephen bennett that's at stephen underscore the gamer on twitter as always i'm at jared Bruner. We want to thank you, the listener, for taking the time to listen to us chat about video games. This has been Game Breaking Feature. Remember, it's okay to disagree. Just don't be a dick about it. All right, thank you, guys. Sweet. Thank you.